The Change Log was brought to you by Pusher, and they're looking for a system engineer specializing in evented systems. Send your cover letter, CV, and your GitHub profile to jobs at pusher.com. Welcome to the Changelog episode 0.7.6. I'm Adam Stikowiak. And I'm Wynn Netherland. This is the Changelog. We cover what's fresh and new and open source. If you found us on iTunes, we're also on the web at thechangelog.com. We're also up on GitHub. And head to github.com slash explore. You'll find some trending repos, some feature repos from our awesome blog, as well as some audio content from this podcast. If you're on the Twitter, follow the Changelog, not Changelog Show, and also Adam Stack. And I'm Penguin, P-E-N-G-W-I-N-N. Fun, fun episode this week. Talk to Phil Hack over at GitHub about .NET and the open source, um, broader open source community that uh, .NET has and how to get those folks plugged into GitHub and kind of merge these two communities. We also did a circle back on NuGet. Or is it NuGet? You know, uh, he pronounced it NuGet. I always said uh, NuGet in my head, so uh, maybe that's just my... Uh, Inner craving for a candy bar. I'm not sure, but uh, you know, package manager for .NET, which every uh, language platform kind of lives and dies by the strength of its package management. So it's nice to see uh, .NET uh, maybe catching up with some other communities around package management. Yeah, certainly it's fun to see GitHub too um, embracing the wider spectrum of open source, not just, I guess, the the usual suspects, as you say. And we talked about that. Right now, C Sharp's the number 11 most popular language on uh, GitHub, and Phil's mission is kind of to increase that a bit. Um, one of the uh, challenges is just uh, how to spell C Sharp and .NET. You know, okay. uh, both involve punct- punctuation, and so getting those into indexes and uh, the search engine optimization is a bit of a challenge, but uh, it's number 11 right now. His goal is to get that in the top 10. In the top 10. All right, well... Sounds like a fun episode. You want to get to it? Let's do it. Chatting today with Phil Hack, recently to GitHub, about .NET and open source. So, Phil, for those that don't know you, why don't you introduce yourself? Hi, I'm Phil Hack. I work at GitHub as a Windows badass. At least that was the what was on my offer letter. But uh, I'm... Um, Primarily focused on making Git and GitHub better for Windows developers or developers on Windows. And uh, I also uh, was formerly at Microsoft where I worked on ASP.NET MVC as well as NuGet, among other projects. But those are the two big ones that I was responsible for. What's the move to GitHub meant for you personally? Uh, well, I get to work from home, which is really nice. And, uh, you know, they had this philosophy of optimizing for happiness and, uh, moving to GitHub was a good way for me to do just that. And, uh, I really like it a lot. (laughs) What's been the biggest challenge of promoting open source in .NET that you found, um, prior to being at Microsoft and with GitHub? So before joining Microsoft, uh, I think one of the big challenges was just getting, you know, developers to care, right? Like a lot of developers just care about if it's free from a financial standpoint. Um, But a lot of times I don't realize that there's actually a different sort of freedom or free that's actually really important, which is the ability for them to 
take the code and uh, you know make modifications. Um, but also just uh, in terms of businesses, I think you know there's a lot of fear. And there still is a lot of fear, but there's a lot of fear that, oh, you know, if I use this library that's open source, am I, you know, going to set myself up for major problems? And, you know, if you're not careful, that could happen. Um, but a lot of times what I've seen beforehand, and especially now, is a lot of these companies don't even realize that their developers are already using these libraries. Um, in the .NET space, for example, there's Log4Net, which is modeled after the Log4J uh, Java logging library. And, uh, you know, that library just alone is probably in nearly, you know, every code base. And a lot of uh -huh. these companies don't even realize that you know, their employees are using open source. And, uh, you know, what I'd love to see is for them to realize that and start contributing back and not realize that and say, oh, well, we've got to get rid of this. <laughs> yeah, one of the, I guess, biggest catalysts for sharing open source code is just a package manager. So talk a bit about um, NuGet and what it's meant to sharing .NET open source. Sure. So NuGet is a package manager for uh, .NET and Windows developers. And its primary focus or the thing that everyone thinks about is a Visual Studio add-in. And so um, for a lot of .NET developers, that's their primary way of doing development. And what it does is it makes it really easy to incorporate code into um, your project or solution. And the, the problem it solves is that, you know, prior to NuGet, you know, for a lot of people, when you wanted to use a library, it took a lot of steps. You know, you'd search around all over the web. You might find a library. You then have to unpack it from, you know, it's usually zipped up, so you unpack it. You copy the assemblies into some folder in your project, and then you go to the add reference dialog and add a reference to it. And so there's a lot of manual rote steps, and we wanted to really automate all the steps that people were pretty much doing anyways and try not to change the workflow too much but automate all the, the ugly steps they don't care about. Um, the nice thing about NuGet, though, is that it's full, it itself is fully open source. Um, it's under the Apache V2 license, but it's also developed in an open and collaborative manner so that uh, it, the project accepts contributions. And uh, for example, and other people have taken it and built really interesting product, products on it. So while Visual Studio is sort of the primary experience, there is a command line uh, nuget.exe that doesn't have any dependencies on Visual Studio that you can use outside of Visual Studio. And folks like the Sharp Develop folks have developed. Um, uh, they've written a plugin for Sharp Develop that uh, understands NuGet as well, and and there's a lot of other things as well. What sort of support has the project gotten from Microsoft, if any? Uh, well, it was started at Microsoft as a Microsoft project, so um, it and it was handed over to the Outer Curve Foundation. Uh, the Outer Curve Foundation is an open source foundation, much like Eclipse or Apache, um, so, to be the stewards of the project. So uh, what's nice is that uh, Microsoft has continued to, um, <coughs> excuse me, Microsoft has continued to, to contribute uh, the time of uh, some of their developers and, and a program manager over there um, on NuGet. So they have full-time dedicated staff uh, 
working on NuGet. And um, you know, the big thing is that uh, in the next big version of Visual Studio 11 that uh, recently came out, the, the beta recently came out, uh, NuGet is a core piece um, inside, or let me rephrase that back up. In the uh, Visual Studio 11, their next version of Visual Studio, one of their flagship de uh, development products, they've incorporated NuGet into the product. So it's already there when you um, start doing development with Visual Studio 11. So they've really embraced NuGet in a big way. Yeah, there's two hard problems in computer science. Uh, I guess it's cache invalidation and, and naming things. What impact you know, is C Sharp and .NET both containing punctuation, do you think, is... Uh, made it harder to find .NET and C Sharp resources on the web. <laughs> yeah, that uh, I've never been a big fan of Microsoft's naming strategy, except for maybe the Xbox. But even that uh, has those problems. Um, you know, the good news is that I think you know uh, Google and other search engines have handled that pretty well because initially when you d you couldn't even do a search for c-sharp i remember if i remember correctly like way back when um but for the most part now you you know you can and a lot of people have worked around it by naming their projects uh by spelling out the dot in dot net or by spelling out the sharp and c-sharp so i don't i don't know if that's been uh such a problem i mean i think nuget makes it even easier now because uh there's so many libraries within the nuget gallery the online portion of nuget that uh, if you go there, you can quickly find a library to do just about anything you need. And the reason I ask that, I'm looking at uh, C-sharps, the number 11 most popular language on GitHub at the URL, github.com slash languages slash C percent 23. And, you know, half of these have C-sharp spelled out or .NET spelled out uh, in, the, in the name of the project. But number, of ele number 11, that's actually quite surprising. Um, is it your goal to, to boost that, get a little oh, higher? Yeah. Oh, absolutely! Yeah, I would love to see. Um, I would love to see C Sharp uh, much higher up on that list. Um, I think, in terms of overall developers, C Sharp is uh, much higher than that. If you look, if you trust the, uh, was it Tiobe or Tiobe? I don't know how you're supposed to pronounce it, but the Tiobe index. So I'd love to see at least C Sharp be represented, um, representative of that. And uh, I think. Uh, the .NET landscape in open source hasn't um, necessarily been as uh, rich or um, seen to be as rich as, uh, for example, the Ruby or Java open source communities. But there's actually a lot of interesting, good stuff going on in the .NET open source community. So, um, you know, and hopefully, you know, as we continue to make using Git and GitHub easier for Windows developers, we'll see more of those developers realizing that, you know, GitHub is a great place to host that code. What are the current challenges for both GitHub and Git um, specifically for Windows users? Well, I think Git specifically, uh, you know, uh, my coworker has this phrase that he likes to use, uh, death by a thousand paper cuts. <laughs> um, line endings is probably one of the biggest things that's a challenge when you're using Git on Windows versus Git on the other platforms, uh, just dealing with line endings. But there's also... Um, you know, there's not a real good place for um, just getting started with Git on Windows. It's a little bit of a challenge. And so, you know, we hope to make that just effortless. As for GitHub, um, 
you know, GitHub and Git kind of go hand in hand. So if once you're comfortable with Git, uh, I think GitHub's a great place. I don't think there's a lot of barriers to C sharp developers or .NET developers on GitHub. The one thing that might be there is, um, you know, one thing we could do better, and I, I don't know, we might have done this recently, but for example, a lot of the examples assume you're on uh, a Mac or Unix-based operating system or in a, a Bash shell. So if you know if we can detect that you're on Windows, you know maybe we give you commands using uh, like our examples might adapt to what you're doing. Those are some of the types of things that I think we could do to make it even friendlier. Um, but for the most part, you know we've seen pretty good uptake in uh, .NET developer projects coming in GitHub, as far as I can tell. Are you guys working on a Windows client, a la your Mac client? Uh, yeah, we're working on something. <laughs> no comment. Yeah, we're yeah. I, I mean, we're we're working on um, we're working on some tools to make make it easier to use Git on Windows and with GitHub. Yeah, I, I've since joining GitHub. One of the things I I've learned is uh, there's a phrase some of my coworkers like to use that uh, they prefer shipping software than talking about software that hasn't yet shipped. So uh, we've been a little bit mum on in terms of you know specific plans. Um, but I think it's probably okay to say that, yeah, we're working on something. <laughs> so when you have a product called GitHub Enterprise, it kind of, uh, I guess, casts a bigger net in the, uh, I guess, .NET world inside the enterprise than um, just your regular public-facing application. Are you focused on any um, enhancements to that platform for Windows users? Um, I personally don't work on the the GitHub for Enterprise, so I don't really have, um, yeah, I don't really have any specific knowledge on that plan. I mean, I think it would uh, it would only make sense to make sure that it it works great for both Windows and non-Windows developers, but uh, I don't have, I, I can't speak to anything specific. Any .NET projects on GitHub that have you really excited? Oh yeah, there's quite a few. Um, so one of the ones recently that I've been uh, really into is called SignalR. Um, so Signal, and then with an R at the end, kind of a very uh, Web 2.0 name-ish. But uh, it's a uh, framework for um, .NET developers, and particularly in ASP.NET developers, but where you can have persistent uh, connections to the server. So uh, it allows you to have persistent connections to the server from the client. And so you can do things like, uh, from your browser, make a JavaScript call to some method on the server, a server object. And that method, that method on the server can actually call methods back on the client. And there's a really cool chat client uh, that was meant to be sort of a proof of concept called Jabbar, J-A-B-B-R, which, uh, sh you know, not to be confused with Jabber, the... Uh, the ICMPP uh, chat client. Um, but if you go to jabbr.net, there's a website there, and it's uh, a showcase for using SignalR to do multi-person you know, online chat. And, and the, the interface is a lot like uh, Basecamp, uh, sorry, Campfire, if you've ever used uh, Campfire. It's pretty cool. That's one of the projects on there. I mean, there's, there's a lot of others. <laughs> Another project that I think is pretty interesting is Nancy FX. Um, or just called Nancy for short. And it's a Sinatra-like framework for uh, ASP.NET, or sorry, .NET developers. I don't think it actually has any dependencies on ASP.NET, but uh, 
uh, for at least for me, web development on .NET tends to be synonymous with ASP.NET. But in this case, it's a lightweight um, web framework. And there's a lot of cool web frameworks that are up on GitHub these days. So there's like Nancy FX, there's uh, uh, what do you call OpenRasta, FUBU, MVC. So there's really cool stuff going on in, in that area. Checking out Nancy, and it, you'd be shocked how many times on this podcast we've said Sinatra-like or Sinatra-inspired. It, that is such a uh, you know, forward-looking uh, little framework that's in, you know, launched. I don't know how many copycat frameworks or at least inspired the DSLs of other frameworks. But on Nancy in particular, does it have uh, dependencies on IIS? No. So I think the whole point of uh, Nancy is not to have dependencies on IIS. And in fact, um, that actually reminds me of um, another project in GitHub that I, I can't believe I just I blanked on it, but it's Owen, O-W-I-N. So Owen is a, uh, it, it's basically a dot, I wouldn't call it a port, but basically a .NET port of the uh, rack from Rails. Mm-hmm. I was not, sorry, rack from Ruby. Right. <laughs> not everything Ruby is Rails, right? That's correct. <laughs> so, um, and the whole point of that is to abstract the interface of a framework versus, you know, the host provider. Um and so I believe Nancy has an Owen, has Owen support built in, as well as a lot of these other um, uh, open source lightweight frame, web frameworks that are coming out in the .NET space. And so that removes your tie to uh, not only ASP.NET, but your ties to any specific web server. So while you, there are Owen um, implementations that run with IIS, there's Owen implementations that run with um, other web servers like uh, Mono the Dios or uh, uh, I think, uh, gosh, I can't even remember some of these, but there's a lot of uh, open source web servers out there too in the .NET space. That that it, it's in the last I think year or so, it's it's really exploded. This whole area of uh, you know not only lightweight web frameworks but uh, lightweight web servers all built in .NET. So really cool stuff. And, uh, yeah, it's funny. You, know, you mentioned earlier Nancy being kind of a spinoff of uh, Sinatra. You know, the whole name is after Frank Sinatra's daughter, Nancy Sinatra. So I thought that was clever. We talked about Sammy JS on the on the uh, podcast before too, and uh, it was a homage to Sammy Davis Jr. Part of the the Rat Pack. The Rat Pack. <laughs> um, you know, I, is there a framework called Rat Pack? Because if there isn't, we should write that right now. <laughs> it's a it's a meta framework. I think. Is what that <laughs> yeah. would be. So um, you know, I was a .NET guy uh, many moons ago, early two thousands, uh, before jumping ship coming over to Ruby and Rails. But um, after making the the switch to primarily open source frameworks, it, you know, paths didn't cross with uh, former .NET developers uh, all that often until a. Two or three years ago, it seems like there was an influx into our circles of .NET folks where we kind of met on the front end when jQuery became adopted sort of in the Microsoft community and now Backbone starting to get a, uh, an uptick. What has it meant for Microsoft as a community uh, to latch onto open source front end frameworks? Uh, I think it's just a recognition of where the web is going. Um, you know, it's really interesting that you mentioned there was an influx of .NET developers into jQuery. And uh, we, 
when I was at Microsoft as part of ASP.NVC, I forget, I think it was version one, in fact, we shipped jQuery in the box and basically sunsetted our own, or at the time, our own um, Ajax library, what was called codename Atlas. Um, right. But, you know, just like the CLR pointed to, uh, ported to JavaScript almost. Sorry, what? It yeah, almost... yes, that's right, that's right. It, it's basically an object model, um, you know, very OO-oriented. And um, it was called At Codename Atlas, but we, of course, you know, Microsoft had to give it a name of Microsoft Ajax Framework, whatever. But uh, it was really interesting to me that I would get approached afterwards um, from a lot of developers who would say, you know, thank you for shipping jQuery in the box because... Now we're allowed to use it at work. And it wasn't so much that they weren't allowed to use open source uh, or maybe that, you know, their employees didn't realize it, uh, which is kind of sad. But it was that, you know, if it was shipped by Microsoft, it had uh, their employer's blessing. And so by including these things in the box, you know, more and more developers were able to had the permission to use them. And, you know, what will be interesting to see is if NuGet being in the box with Visual Studio 11 has a similar effect where, like, it's almost like this, you know, backdoor where these developers can now install these components that, well, I just use Visual Studio to get these things into my project, you know, and my employer doesn't care. Now, for a lot of employers, that might sound like a scary thing. So, you know, I would encourage people to be careful and read the licenses and make sure you understand the implication of the licenses you use. But I also think it's a really good thing that hopefully it sort of uh, reduces the fear of using these types of uh, components. But going back to you know your original question, uh, yeah, I think uh, you know it's a recognition of where the web is going that the web is becoming more and more uh, rich in the client where uh, you know old ASP.NET web forms, I'm sure you're familiar with that, really had this concept of mimicking state by shipping the data, the, the state of the control, so to speak, back and forth between the server and client. Uh, but, you know, more recently what you realize is um, really quick, speedy, interactive websites keep all the control state in the client via JavaScript, right? So you have these all these JavaScript widgets, and then you just need to make these lightweight service calls back to the server. And I think that is a part of the reasons why you're seeing this proliferation of lightweight um, web frameworks is because you know they don't really need to do all this stuff of rendering UI. They just need to return JSON back to the client and let the client handle the UI thing. So, and I, and the other aspect of that that I think is really great is just. Um, I really like seeing this uh, intermingling of different communities because I think you know when you when these different communities tend to isolate themselves, they're missing out on a lot of good ideas from other communities and you know vice versa. So uh, I think by sharing these ideas and intermingling, you know we get the best of both. And it's one of the things I really like uh, working at GitHub. You know I had known that GitHub was a Ruby shop, but I didn't realize they were doing any kind of .NET development. So when I joined, I was a little hesitant, wondering if, oh, are these you know, Ruby guys going to make fun of me all the time or whatnot? Um, but what I found was a culture that really values learning new things and, and, and values technology um, in a sort of agnostic way where 
you know, I would learn some cool things that they're doing that Ruby does that I didn't maybe realize. But at the same time, you know, I, like my coworker and I would talk about some of the cool things in C Sharp that you don't really have an equivalent in, in Ruby that they were like, oh, that is really cool. You know, they're able to recognize that. And that's why I'm a big fan of conferences like um, the NDC or, or Oradev, where they get a bunch of these different people together from different communities and say, hey, let's all hang out, give talks, and intermingle. <laughs> I want to take a moment to talk to you about Hover.com, our latest sponsor. You can go to Hover.com slash the changelog, and you'll get 10% off domain name purchases. They provide Domain names, easy DNS, super simple, and even email management if you need that as well. They uh, they actually have this service called Valet Domain Name Transfer, and we recently moved 30 or more domains, something like that, over to Hover. Super easy. We picked up the phone. We called their 800 number, 866-731-6556, and we talked to a human being, and that person walked us through the entire process of of doing it which took about five minutes so it's not even a, an entire process but they hold your hand the entire way they move all your domain names over get all your dns set up everything set up like your mx whatever you have anything in there they're taking care of it they let you go in and approve and review whatever's going on before they actually pull the trigger and boom you're moved over to hover now that valet service is absolutely free now of course there's fees that are associated with moving moving your domains and that's just the norm, so you do have to pay those, but you're getting 10% off with our code, so that's awesome. Uh, so go to hover.com slash the changelog and enjoy. What are some of the ideas from .NET or C Sharp in particular that you think are great that the broader community could benefit from? Um, you know, m- many of these ideas, as soon as I say something, I'm sure a lot of people say, well, that isn't old, but I think uh, Link, the language integrated query, is pretty cool. Um, pretty cool within uh, C sharp, especially for example how they integrate that into um, going over uh, providing a consistent interface for link over objects, link over SQL, and then link over um, XML. The other thing that I think is really interesting is uh, reactive extensions, and this is um, a concept that's finding its way not only in C sharp. But they've also come out with JavaScript libraries, and uh, uh, if you're familiar with you know how enumerations work in C sharp, right? You know you've got these two interfaces, I enumerable and I enumerator, and and it's the way you can easily enumerate over a collection. And reactive extension sort of reverses the polarity on that, and so rather than um, uh, enumerating over things, you have this concept of s- subscribers and subscribe observables. And so, um, like an observable over a stream of incoming events or uh, incoming messages from some other place, and then you can call, uh, hand it a subscriber, and then you can um, build up these link expressions that describe that are very declarative and describe what you want to happen with all these incoming messages. For example, you know, one of the, the classic examples is if you were trying to implement something like an autocomplete. Uh, you know, there's actually quite a bit of code if you think about implementing it in a traditional way of, well, you know, if someone types real fast, you kind of want to not send off the service calls for every single key press. You kind of want to sure. throttle them. And so with reactive extensions, that's actually really easy because you just say, you know, 
uh, create an observable from this event stream dot throttle specify a time and dot subscribe and then do something and so um you've built up this structure that's very declarative describing what you want to happen not how to do it and then um it just handles all of that for you so it's a it's it it's taken me quite a bit of time to sort of wrap my head around the implications of that because it's actually kind of hurts your head at first when you first start playing with it. But I'm starting to get the hang of it uh, a little better, and um, I just once you do, you realize how beautiful that sort of thing is. Are you seeing any sort of developments in C Sharp and .NET communities for invented or async programming like we're seeing in other frameworks? Uh, yeah, I think. You'll see a lot more of that with the next version of C-Sharp, C-Sharp 5. Uh, the await keyword is one of the big things coming out, which is um, allows you to write code in some, somewhat of a syn synchronous fashion, but not block the thread when you use the await keyword to call something that's uh, task-based or truly async. So um, I think with that, a lot more people writing async code will be accessible to a lot more people. I think reactive extensions is also, you know, it may play a big part in that. It's not quite gotten the notice or popularity uh, in the C-Shark community uh, as it probably deserves yet. Um, but I think as, you know, people try to write async code and run into all the different race conditions and problems that you run into, you know, Reactive extensions kind of solved a lot of those things, so that you don't really run into, you know, um, race conditions as much. You know, your code might not work, or it might work, but you won't run into a lot of those things if you follow the the patterns that they supply. So, I think that's a big area, and uh, you know, especially in in the JavaScript realm, where you know, web developers are going to be writing more and more JavaScript, and you know, they're going to need to understand, you know, how to do a lot of things async, so that they don't block the browser. Was it a culture shock moving from Microsoft, and you mentioned earlier the naming of the Atlas project, to uh, the culture at GitHub? Uh, a little bit, yeah. <laughs> I think, but in, in, a, in kind of a good way. I think after, I had read pretty much every blog entry that from their blog and, and a lot of the writings of some of their people, so I, I, I sort of knew what to expect. And uh, I've worked from home before, so I even kind of knew what to expect. But even so, you know, it is kind of, I was t uh, telling some people the other day that, you know, when they say that nobody's, you know, kind of watching you, you know, seeing how you're spending your time or, you know, are you in the office in certain hours, you know, they really mean that. And I think, you know, for many people at Microsoft, they have sort of that culture. But the other thing is, at Microsoft, they sort of fill your day with so many meetings <laughs> that you're really not in control of your own schedule as much as you'd like to be. Whereas at GitHub, you know, when they say we don't have meetings, they really mean that, you know, there's really, you know, no like meetings at all, <laughs> hardly. I mean, you know, sometimes we meet to hang out and stuff, but I mean, there's no, you know, concept of, oh, let's call a meeting, invite a bunch of uninterested people you know, together and waste everyone's time. You know, instead, you know, we try to keep all the communication async via, you know, online chat. Um, and uh, I think that has really freed up so much of my time, whereas instead of spending my time in meeting, I'm actually spending time getting things done. And to me, that was a huge culture shock. I remember the first few days of working, I was just exhausted by the end of, you know, by five o'clock simply because, you know, I spent all day working instead of sitting in a meeting, so... <laughs> 
I think I'm the opposite. If I'm in meetings all day, I'm drained. But if I'm creating and shipping, you know, it's I leave the day feeling a little bit more fulfilled. You mentioned the online chat. I know you guys use Hubot. You got a favorite Hubot script? Uh, <laughs> I'm trying to think which ones can I talk about. <laughs> yeah, we have this one called uh, Potty Mouths. So it kind of tracks how many times different people have uh, said a swear word in the chat room. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm never... I'm always in the top 10, but not quite near the one or two. So I've been working on that. That's great. My favorite is the, the sweet and dude from dude, where's my car oh, type I'm, sweet or dude. It tells you the opposite with a exclamation <laughs> mark. I'll have to try that. That one, the, uh, mustacheify me was also pretty great. I'm still amazed at its ability to put a mustache on any random photo that you drop into yeah, that find. one's amazing. Like we did, um, someone posted it. We had a uh, company photo in our last summit, and someone posted that into the chat room, and it auto mustacheifies any photos of people that you post in there. <laughs> and to see like all these tiny little mustaches on everybody was pretty, pretty darn cool. Did you move to the uh, Bay Area for this game? No. No, I still live in Bellevue, Washington, so I'm like a couple miles from Microsoft campus. Uh, my family really likes it up here, so we decided not to move down. Any other GitHubers in your area? Uh, yeah, there's one new one who lives in Seattle, but uh, the I think there were two others before, but they've both moved down to San Francisco. All right, we've already covered what's open source that you're following on GitHub. It's usually how we close out episodes. Another question that uh, a lot of times we'll ask at the end is we put you on the spot to ask who your programming hero is. Mm, good question. All right, well, he's a friend of mine. So, you know, there's. I'm going to pick someone that isn't, like, world famous, um, although there are like a lot of, I'm sure, plenty of world-famous uh, open-source developers. Um, but a friend of mine, David Fowler, he's a uh, developer at Microsoft, but he pretty much wrote like a huge amount of the core of NuGet. He's also you know, a developer on SignalR and a developer on um, Jabber. And so a lot of the, the cool stuff that I mentioned, he was the, the key developer working on that stuff. So he's, uh, um, if, you've ever, if you ever work with him, I mean, he's just uh, quality. <laughs> David Fowl on the Twitter. We'll be sure and put it in the show notes. Yeah, yeah. Well, we're excited to help us find some .NET out in the, uh, the GitHub area to feature on the changelog. Phil, thanks for coming on the show and, and talking about .NET and open source. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you very much.